Break out your wireframes and heat up those Git repos. We're ready to tackle topics ranging from accessibility to front-end design, user experience, and beyond. You're listening to the Drunken UX Podcast with your hosts, Michael Feenan and Aaron Hill. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, developers and designers, this is episode number 99 of the Drunken UX Podcast. I am your host, Michael Feen, and I could not be more excited because this being 99 means our next episode is number 100. And I am absolutely stoked. I am, honestly, I am like super stoked about this too. Like both about making 100 episodes, but also about the stuff that we're talking about in this episode and next episode, it's really exciting. This episode, you're going to want to listen to all the way to the end. Next episode, let's just say I'm putting some announcements in my pocket that are going to be coming out there. Mm-hmm. It's really going to make into the season hard because there's only four more episodes after that. And I have to come up <laughs> with a season finale to do then. <laughs> and uh, I'm I'm burning all my gas here on these two episodes. So we're going to have to... <laughs> Um, Aaron, I have some homework for you, to say the least. Ooh, okay. <laughs> Pl- plan the finale for me, and it's, uh, <laughs> just all of it, all of it. Oh, it's, oh, so we're doing a group project, is what you're telling me. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> sure. <laughs> all right, I've been down this path before. <laughs> Folks, I'm super excited about this, and if you want to know how excited I am, be sure to check us out over on the social networks. If you have Twitter, if you have Facebook, we're slash drunken UX. If you're on Instagram, it's slash drunken UX podcast. If you want to chat with us anytime, Discord is up and running. Just go to drunkenux.com slash Discord. Well, I went to the liquor store. I have stocked up on some new scotch. I'm I'm gonna break out something uh particularly special for our next episode. Um this uh episode I will be uh enjoying, and I I'm pretty sure I have had this on the show before. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's a Cardu 12. Hmm. Um, Cardu is a somewhat harder to find. Is that a fair? It, it's not easy to find. <laughs> it's not like super special or anything either. I was expecting you to describe it like the one that was technically alcohol. Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> Cardu, Rock, I rocks, enjoy. Right? With rocks. Yeah, yeah. Uh, on the rocks. Yeah. Um, Cardu is a Speyside scotch. It's quite nice. I think of it very much like a very rich apple pie like it's sweet but not sugary it's not sugary sweet at all it's like a really old-fashioned like rich apple pie or apple cobbler Mm. like when you bite into one of those apples and it's got a little bit of crunch to it but like you've got that sort of soppy white fruit flavor to it okay okay i'm feeling you little nutmeg um but it's a very it's a very fruit forward uh type of scotch which is typical for spayside um I I'm a I my drink is almost gone actually. Uh I've got a Cazadores and pineapple juice. Um A what now? It's tequila. It's uh oh, Okay. It's tequila reposado, so it's like aged. Um it's it's I usually I'll drink it like neat, but I felt like mixing it with pineapple juice tonight. Yeah, nothing wrong with that. Um the right anyways. way to drink tequila is the way you like it. Yeah. I thought so like too. Scotch. Before we jump into our our topic for this evening, which I know I have not told you yet, and that's silly because you've seen the title of the episode at this point, so you know kind of where we're going with this, but um, it is the start of October. Mm -hmm. There are two big things happening right now that you should definitely go and check out. The first is, and we have talked about this in past episodes, 
the 2021 State of CSS survey is now open for submissions. Oh, right. That's, they collect a bunch of information about what, you know, new CSS features people are using, what newer, new-ish features, you know, in the last couple of years that have now had a little time. Mm-hmm. You know, what have people learned? Are they using it? Are they not using it? Um, what frameworks are they using? Uh, it is always interesting. It's a very well put together survey. It's a very in depth survey. So it always, it produces a lot of really good data, in my opinion. I would, agree. I would agree with that. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. This is up at stateofcss.com. Mm-hmm. You do have to sign up for an account for it. It's super painless because what they do is, um, the survey is long. I will warn you ahead of time. Um, it's multiple pages of lots of questions. You're probably not going to want to sit down and fill it out all in one go. I'll just warn you ahead of time. But if you have the time and you're willing to sit down and go through those questions, it is very helpful for understanding how designers are using CSS right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but so you set up the account and that account can save your progress that way. Um, so that's state of CSS. Go check mm-hmm. it out. Go fill out the survey, contribute some data to it. Even if you're new, and I should emphasize that, like, it is okay if you are a junior front-end developer or designer that you don't know anything about CSS. That data is still valuable to the survey to help understand. Because one of the things they ask is how many years of experience do you have? Mm-hmm. And they chart that out to kind of show where respondents are in their journey across stuff. So even if you don't know a lot of that stuff, it's okay to go fill that survey out. So mm-hmm. check that out. Number two. Right. Uh, so it is October, which means you should get out your computers. And I mean, they're probably out right now. Yes. So keep them out. And if you haven't already signed up for Hacktoberfest, I believe you still can. Um, yes. The sooner you get your PRs in, the more likely you will be to get a T-shirt. They do have limited supply. Um, I have gotten one the past three years, maybe four years now. And they're always great. I wear them proudly. And you can find lots of, um, there's a label for Hacktoberfest on GitHub. You can just search for that to find issues. Oh, there, okay. Yeah. I just use a good first issue. Oh, yeah, that too. That's also a good one. Yeah. Um, get your PRs in. Please do them in good faith. Don't do crappy ones. They do actually have a like a moderation process now, and you can get booed yeah. from Hacktoberfest indefinitely. Uh- with so remember uh, the overlay fact sheet when we were talking mm-hmm. about that Carl Groves's little project. Yeah, um, I say little project um, as if the guy is not <laughs> a stalwart of the industry. Um, <laughs> he's got this site where you can go and sign your name to it to say, "Hey, I am an accessibility minded designer mm-hmm. or developer. I'm going to commit to these principles." And so you go to the GitHub repo, you pull the files, you add your name to it, and you make a PR. Those don't count, and they even explicitly right. call that out now in the, in yeah. the sort of rules of Hacktoberfest that those kinds of PRs do not count towards your total. Yeah, you have to you have to contribute something legitimate. But thankfully, the the contributions are generally small, um, and it's just about fostering uh, a relationship with the open source community and to have fun with it in the process. And there is a I, Discord for it. Oh, I didn't know that. That's cool. Yes, yeah. Uh, Discord.gg slash Hacktoberfest. Nice. So uh, we'll throw a link to that in the, in the show notes in case anybody wants to uh, to find that. Um, to help, we <laughs> have a couple of projects we're working on. 
Um, you'll learn more about these very soon, but if you go to github.com slash drunken UX, you'll find a couple repos there. We have been actively tagging some issues that are marked as good first issue. And so if you want to go grab one of those and lend a PR to it or some assistance to it, those mm-hmm. are great starting points. They are, some of them are incredibly trivial. Um, and I am intentionally leaving them out there in case somebody wants to come in. You're learning HTML, you're learning how GitHub works, whatever, and you want to take something very simple. And I've intentionally left some of those out there so that those can be grabbed. If anybody wants to take part, we would love to help you do that. So run by it's hacktoberfest.digitalocean.com or just Google Hacktoberfest. Um, we'll post some stuff about it um, throughout the month as well. Um, I'll share some of those issues and things. So um, check it out and have fun. Go make some commits. It's October. <laughs> Okay, so this is the we're nearing the end of our fourth season, and we're also approaching episode 100. And I think that it's kind of neat that we have actually been uh, kind of like zeroing in on a pretty neat concept. And we've discussed it on the show a couple times, but um, prior to this, yeah, orbiting, Orbiting. like like slowly, like getting closer and closer, like we're going to crash into the sun eventually. So we're like orbiting the edge of the sun right now. It's 2021. I welcome a fiery death. Thank you very much. <laughs> From what I've known of desire, I have favor fire. <laughs> I, so in preparation of this episode, I, I went through all of our previous episodes and found 24 different episodes where we were kind of like flirting with this idea. And we didn't have a name for it at the time, but we kept getting closer and closer to this kind of this intersection or nexus of like accessibility and inclusive design and like away from dark our hostile patterns and just like this general like uh you know almost a design philosophy like we discussed with uh greg pedanovich way back in season was it season one or is it, it was season two beginning of season two episode 14 and and no, that we, would still have been one. Oh, was it yeah 26 episodes of oh right right yeah that's right i'm thinking uh monthly so when we did the talk at UX at UW, we we used the phrase or the word uh, kind design for the first time. That, that's the sun that we've been approaching. Yeah. And it's not going to kill us when we collide with it because <laughs> it's a good thing. So now we're going to land on it and be in the happy place. Yeah, it, it's something that we've, I think, especially recently, because when, uh, when Aaron told me, Hey, yeah, we, the first time we used that phrase was in episode 90. I'm like, mm-hmm. that, that can't be right. We had to have said it earlier than that. And I went back and did a search on the website. And I'm like, <laughs> nope. The first time the, the phrase kind design shows up in our show notes or in our transcripts is mm-hmm. in episode 90. So it's something, though, that we have put, I think, a lot of emphasis on, especially as you've heard us use this phrase hostile design mm-hmm. a lot. And... Hostile design, I, I think, extends from the phrase dark patterns. This is something that I think most of you will be familiar with or have heard us mm-hmm. talk about before. There's a website, darkpatterns.org, that is pretty well known at this point. Um, mm-hmm. This notion of bad things, basically. Um, 
dark UX is another mm-hmm. phrase. And and we kind of, I think, came to this understanding that, you know, hostile design yeah. is the thing that surrounds dark UX, dark patterns, and inaccessible design. Social considerations aside about, like, the subtext of dark versus light and all that, I, I think that the one of the problems with dark patterns or... Uh, any of, of that language is, is that it suggests like you know dark or clandestine or hidden obscured and like all these things are like not innately bad things like just because something's hidden doesn't make it bad it could just be shy but <laughs> hostile patterns applies intent and and the the i think that's important is that you're you're saying the person who created this this thing that's unpleasant intended it to be ha- to have that outcome that was something they wanted and and i think that it's like you're prioritizing your needs as the content creator to the at the expense of the user's experience a, a and I th- good example here um just mm-hmm. to throw it out there and not to bring politics into any of this but it is literally the best example of hostile design in action that we've seen in the last four years is the attention that has been drawn to the RNC's, um, the Republican National Committee's mm-hmm. um, donation page. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. the boxes that they include on that with language that is meant to deceive, with boxes that are meant to obfuscate their purpose in an attempt to sneak into your uh, into your cart, which is a specific dark pattern, um, the process of making you donate every single month whether or not that is really what your goal is. Mm -hmm. I genuinely cannot think of a better example of hostile design in action than that right now. I think that's a great example. And I I think that the concept of kind design, which I think, you know, going back to that Greg Pudanovich episode, I feel like this is probably a design philosophy. Like this is the wellspring from which many other things you know, like emerge from. Right. Um, I think kind design sits as the antithesis of hostile design. Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're definitely foils of each other. Yeah. I think very directly. If you, if you start from a place of kindness to begin with, then you'll naturally want to be accessible. You'll want to be inclusive. You'll want to have a positive user experience that your users like, because you're coming from a place of kindness. And I think that that's really critical. And and um, do you remember the accessibility thing from what I'm like a month, two months ago? Um, they created a product that would ostensibly help kind of do turnkey accessibility for yeah. websites. That that overlay fact sheet that we mm-hmm. mentioned earlier that sprung out of this. Right. Accessibility is what is called an accessibility overlay. Okay. What what is an overlay meant to do? It's it's meant to cover things right i think it's the accessibility thing writ large is a good example of how you could do accessibility without having it come from a place of kindness and it's the same kind of thing if you have a company that maybe they're just checking the box like okay we've we've tech we're technically accessible per this audit that we had so we're done and and that's like that's accessibility but not kind accessibility if you're doing kind accessibility, you're starting with how are our users, like listening to your users, having empathy for users, and then trying to 
meet that and and do the best you can and i think that that's that's where you want to be their their product itself wasn't attempt at hostility it just but it didn't come from kindness though it came from like moneyed interests or like they're they're trying to make a product to sell which whatever i mean i'm not judging that but they're doing it where they're prioritizing their own product and their own profits and their own their own needs against or at the expense of the users that are using it in the messaging in the wording in the responses if you go back listen i don't remember which episode it was where it came up but do a search on our site you'll find it um where we talked about this and what strikes me is this notion of you know where kind design starts one of the first things that i think has to come out of that is your intent the same way mm-hmm. hostile design brings with it an intent an intent to treat the the user as a hostile witness on the stand so to speak mm-hmm. um and kind design implies things like when somebody comes to you mm-hmm. and says there is a problem you listen <laughs> and you do something about it. And when users came out of the woodwork during this whole affair and started saying, here are the ways this tool affects me negatively as somebody with you know, various accessibility needs on a website, and their response to that was, well... We're not the ones who are wrong. You're wrong, <laughs> right? You yeah. know what's the, what's the 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 Simpsons the principle? Um, you know, <laughs> oh, yeah, are, yeah. Maybe like, the kid um, are the kids wrong? No, the, the, the kids who are the ones who are wrong. The, the kids are the ones who are wrong. Yeah, <laughs> it, it was that kind of thing, and that's where you can draw the line in the sand and say, okay, you're not practicing kind design because mm-hmm. one, and we're going to get into this and talk about like what makes up kind design, and there are steps. There are actionable things that you can write down. And one of those things is listening and responding to user Mm -hmm. needs. Now, how you do that depends kind of where in kind design you fall. There are many ways that you can respond to that, but throwing it away and saying, we're going to keep doing what we're doing and not make our product better in the face of legitimate criticism. Mm -hmm. You lost the game. (laughs) Well, in episode 63, which I I was in, I think it was in Chicago when you recorded that one with um, EJ Mason and Ruben Nick. They're from Webflow and Webflow, they were on yeah. the show to talk about accessibility. And they were both, yeah, they, they were really like, you know, as close to the metal as you could possibly be. But in that episode, they, they talked about the, like how, how accessibility is a process in motion. Like right. working to provide accessibility is a process in motion. It's not an endpoint. It's something that you are like, you're probably not going to get it right the first time and that's okay. And it's just like, you always want it to be better and you want it to be providing as much parity and experience as possible. And I, that, that's the attitude that you want to have and not just checking the box like Domino's did with the lawsuit, right? At this point, right, is it fair to say, uh, and this, let me uh, tie in like one of those clickbait things, right? Waterfall mm-hmm. is dead. It's Can not. I say, no. It, it's, it's not. not. But it should be. Waterfall <laughs> methodology in general. And now, if you're not familiar, like there are different, uh, uh, different ideas about how you create a product, right? And how you maintain that. 
Agile is kind of the one that everybody <laughs> sort of has in one flavor or another. I So, hold on. Before you go any further, I want to say Waterfall nominally may be dead, but Waterfall has put on Agile clothing and is masquerading around as Agile now because I definitely have been on Waterfall projects that were not called Waterfall. They were called Agile, but they were Waterfall. Yeah, yeah. So what Waterfall does is a series of steps. There are five steps that you go mm-hmm. through. You do requirements building, design, implementation, verification and testing, and then deployment and maintenance. And then you are done. Mm-hmm. There is no cycle to it. That deployment and maintenance step is sort of vague and unencompassing and it doesn't ever mean that you necessarily start over Mm -hmm. so waterfall in general is i think a method that has outlived its usefulness in our industry everything now while even and what we're going to talk about here is not necessarily agile the thing that makes agile valuable is the Mm -hmm. notion that it is a cycle So just like you say, accessibility is not a goal, it is a process. You're always working on it. Why are you always working on it? Because technology is always changing. We have, you know, voiceover technology now that we didn't have 10 and 15 years ago. We have, you know, assistive technology for motor skills that we didn't have, you know, back when we first started building these websites. Technology changes, Mm -hmm. so process changes. And Engaging in these cycles of development is what helps you do this. So this will be a refrain that you hear, not just in this episode, but anytime you're talking to people about good web design, good web app design, the ones that are really successful are the ones who have this sort of cycle that goes over and over and over. Because that's how you do this right. Mm Mm-hmm. So let, let's dig in on this a little bit. Mm-hmm. Kind design is an umbrella. And the reason, like, to kind of give you some scope on what Aaron did, he went out and he found 24 of our episodes. 24 episodes is a full quarter of our shows at this point. And that's not including the RTOs and build processes right. where you also discussed it. Which um, I am too just... lazy to keep producing. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're still not paid for this, so I don't fault you for that. True. <laughs> These are just the Drunken UX proper episodes. Drunken UX episodes, one in every four episodes, mm-hmm. talked about something that falls under this umbrella. Mm-hmm. But we get into things, and the phrases that we've used in the past, uh, we said episode 90 was where the words kind design finally came out. Mm-hmm. What you may have heard before that, were things like universal design, accessible design, inclusive design. Mm-hmm. And I, I think maybe it's important to take a second and understand what those are, because it's easy to say, well, aren't, you know, what, why do we have three names for the same thing? And why are you just calling <laughs> it kind design? Are you, you know, why? So you're just trying to game some, you know, make, we're trying to make fetch a thing. Can I say that? Is that, <laughs> Is yeah, that a, no, that's that's I, I'm sure our audience will get is, that. Is that a reference that I'm too old to make now? Uh, I don't know. You're not too old to make it. I think you're in the right demographic. Okay, yeah. So we're we're not trying to make fetch a thing. 
uh, for what it's worth. Universal design. Let's start there, right? Because this mm-hmm. is one that you probably have heard of. Maybe you haven't heard of. But it has, I think, the longest lineage. Where does universal design come from? You're going to see it if you start researching back in it. It's a very architecturally ar- architecturally focused <laughs> discipline. Um, industrial design uh, was big on, on the universal design process. Like this came out of the analog world. And mm-hmm. it was picked up and we've started applying it to the web. and. Similar, you know, this is where you, what we're going to be talking about here is similar to, well, are you using BEM or Atomic CSS mm-hmm. or Tachyons? And it's like they're all conventions, and they're all ways to help you write CSS better. There are mm-hmm. some things about them that are similar. There are some things that are somewhat different. But they all have a similar goal. They're all a set of conventions. And mm-hmm. that's why Aaron had said, like, kind design is sort of the philosophy it's the yeah. thing that ties these together. These individual practices. It's are the practices. starting point. Like it's it's the motivation when you're when you're making any decision about something that you want to do, a tool or a strategy you want to adopt, or anything. You can ask. You can begin with the the premise of like, "Am I being kind by doing this?" Am I this? being kind? Yeah. Yeah, and then that will inform your decision. Pretty much any because because the product you're making is ultimately going to collide with another human at some point, then this will always be a question that you can ask, and it should inform it should inform your decision. Even if even if you work in DevOps, and the stuff that you're doing doesn't directly impact the users, sort of. I mean, I guess you could pull the A record and then take all of your sites down. Hey, who would do that? Who would who? On what planet would somebody delete the A and 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 triple A records for their DNS? I mean, come on. That's the most important thing. Like, I I don't care how you make your money in your company. Like, great, great for you. You know, you're making profits, et cetera, et cetera. But you should never do that at the expense of being treating your users as hostile parties. It's just, it's not, it's never acceptable. I don't, I don't care what your product is. Never okay. There is a fourth spoke to this wheel that what you just said made me realize we didn't put it in the notes. And the fact that I missed this <laughs> really says a lot about me. Um, ethical design also oh, falls yeah, yeah. into this yeah. because that's where like what Definitely. you were just talking about, you know, the art of data collection and data privacy mm-hmm. deals in absolutely deals in kind design, but also Ethical design helps you actually outline the steps and processes by which you will say, here is the data we will collect. Here's how we will review it. Here's how we will get rid of it when we are done with it. All right. So that's a brilliant segue into one of the things I wrote in the doc here, which was we we had that episode uh, 36 where we talked about GDPR. Yes. The the one of two or three episodes on GDPR. Product design resolution of Europe. That's what that means, right? Yeah, um, let's say that. <laughs> so, so GDPR is is saying that if you live in Europe, you have certain rights to privacy. Basically, you have the right to be forgotten. You you can say, company, I want you to pretend you've never met. We're breaking up for good, and they have to be able to abide by that. There's a lot more to it than that, but if you come from a place of kindness when you're building your product. And 
you know, okay, my users, well, A, I don't want to retain, retain data about my users that maybe they wouldn't be comfortable with me having. B, I want my users to be have the agency and ability to remove themselves if they decide they don't want to be part of my community anymore. If you start with both those premises, then GDPR is nothing because you can just say like, oh, well, we don't collect data on them. Oh, wait, we collect this one thing. Hold on. It's gone. And our users can already back out anytime they want and we don't retain data on them. You're already there. there there's, there's like a real, like a business benefit. If you aren't able to see this from the point of empathy for your users, there's a business benefit to this because if you come at it from this angle, you won't get audited for accessibility. Or if you do, you'll already be halfway done with whatever they come up with. Um, this actually leans also into what you were saying about like the notion of, hey, I can check the boxes of accessibility, but mm -hmm. not be exercising kind design. You can check the boxes of GDPR and meet their requirements and not mm -hmm. be exercising privacy. If you are working in kind design and you are looking at something like GDPR, the first question you're going to ask is, well, why would I give more rights to the people in Europe than my users in America? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Why don't I just build to that standard? Because everybody deserves that power over their <laughs> data, over their profiles, whatever your extent is in that case. Kind Design <laughs> says, let's, let's give this, democratize this and give it to all of our users and not just say, we're going to cut out. <laughs> half of our users because only eu technically needs this okay if you want a fun experiment go go use a vpn set your origin point for, to germany and go look at twitter and search for alt-right content and look at how different the experience yeah. is because twitter will filter out anything that's references like the third reich or nazi party or anything because they're not allowed to show that content in germany they have the capability to do this but they only worry about it for Germany. I don't mean to invoke Godwin's law with that. It's just the thing that exists. No, no, you're um, absolutely right. Yeah. So they, right now, or this week, rather, uh, Frances Haugen, the former Facebook employee who worked on the Civility Committee, she gave her testimony to the Senate. And some of the stuff that has come out is that Facebook repeatedly knew internally that they were doing things that were kind of shitty. They, they knew that they had content that was sharing negative stuff. And they knew that it was a negatively impacting their users. They knew that Instagram was negatively affecting their teenage audience, particularly women or girls. And they did nothing about it. Or they yeah. would consistently choose, like, their comparison I heard was on a scale of one to five, where one is doing nothing and five was doing the most possible, even if it hurts profits a little bit. Not all, just a little bit. They would always choose one. They wouldn't even go in the middle. They would, they would be like, we're always going to maximize profits at every angle. That is hostile. That is not this. I, I can't think of a more way, a more hostile way to demonstrate this practice when you have a choice between something and doing nothing at what amounts to no cost to you. Right. And you choose nothing. Or, or a minimal cost. I, I heard a comparison that it was like, if they chose to do these things that would have a significant effect. So if they chose to be on the five side of that one to five scale, then maybe they make 10% less money this quarter. Um, but it would reduce, we'll say 75% of the problem, right? 
Yeah. And whereas if they don't do it, then they keep that 10%, but that whole but the problem persists entirely. Like there it's not it's not a good cost benefit thing. And I really I don't want to make this episode about Facebook. I'm not going to No, no. I believe that. me, I have plenty more to talk about. <laughs> yeah. Let me get you off Facebook. Yeah. Can I do that? Yeah. Please. Um how about we talk about Google? <laughs> that better? Is that because uh, here's we, we here's the thing in it sure there there is yeah. a reason why i do bring that up though yeah. because like facebook we're talking about a giant corporation mm-hmm. google what was one of google's founding principles oh right do Sir, no evil do yeah. no evil and yeah. which mysteriously disappeared that goes away yeah goes away that, that seems like something that like like it requires so little service and you could so easily be like oh yeah like we're still technically not doing evil right like and certainly in (laughs) the years because they didn't pull it out until i think it was 2018 and certainly before 2018 they were engaging in practices that would be considered Mm -hmm. evil by many and that's i'm I'm not going to argue that what i am going to say is don't be evil is a great motto if you are going to practice kind design because again like hostile design evil is diametrically opposed to kindness (laughs) And so by removing that, it's just it's taking down a, an artificial wall that just says, yeah, we could be a little evil. Don't be evil should be like as like ubiquitous and implied as saying, like, show up on show up to work every day that you're supposed to. You know, I'm not even saying show up like on the dot or on time. I'm just be like, just show up to work. If you can't say that you're going to show up to work on the days you're scheduled, like, what the hell? You know, so universal design i i mentioned is this principle that comes from architecture and industrial design mm-hmm. and it's it's a system it is a literal system by which there are principles it involves equitable use flexibility mm-hmm. in use simple and intuitive perceptible information tolerance for error low physical effort and space and size for approach and use that last one mm-hmm. especially you can see like the yeah. the notion of curb cuts elevators Mm -hmm. ramps you know having space having your buttons and icons being large enough on your web page yeah so size and space is kind of one of those but yes as it applies to digital then we think about things like the new uh wecag 3 that says Mm -hmm. now you know if you've got something clickable it needs to be 44 pixels by 44 pixels we want to make sure it's big enough that we get outside of the precision error uh Mm -hmm. problem so universal design comes at this with this set of like, here's how you practice universal design. Yeah. I think that like, there's always going to be situations where maybe you can't do things like the way that you want to. Like, let's say that, you know, the WCAG guidelines say 44 by 44 pixels. And for whatever reason on your site, you absolutely can do 44 by 44. You can only do 40 by 40. Or you're retrofitting, maybe. Maybe you've yeah. come in after the fact. You're not dealing with something you're building from scratch. Right. You're building with something that was built 10 years ago, and you're trying to improve it. Right. And so, like, you don't have the full space to do all 44 pixels. You can only do 40. And and I think that recognizing, okay, like, we are we want to do this. This is what we can do for now. And and understanding and accepting that like you're not quite hitting the mark on that, I think is an is important part of adopting this philosophy because right. you're saying you're saying like um you're accepting the cost of or like you're accepting that you had a failure here 
and that at some later point, maybe you can help make good on that. Um, and, and that's where I think we get into other these uh, these two other three, if you include the ethical mm-hmm. side, um, these other design patterns. Universal design is meant to produce an output. One mm-hmm. thing um, coming from where it comes from, that thought was, I have produced a building that is access, you know, that is universally usable. I have mm-hmm. produced a product. You know, I, I can't make three versions of the product. I can't build three versions of the building. I have to build one thing that, uh, that adapts to all of these things. Mm-hmm. We aren't confined by that in the digital space, though. This is where we get into inclusive design. Now, inclusive design is where we get into this cycle. We start thinking in cycles, yeah. right? Once you've built a building, a building is a waterfall. You build the building, the building is done, and then you get into deployment and maintenance. You don't mm-hmm. re-architect the whole building. I mean, some people do. Obviously, that's what a <laughs> remodel is. But generally speaking, that is a labor-intensive Usually don't tear process. the building down and rebuild it, yeah. <laughs> um, so with inclusive design, you get into this cycle of what they call managing, so what mm-hmm. should we do next, exploring what are those needs, creating how can the needs be met, and then evaluating how well are the needs met. And mm-hmm. that becomes a cycle of process that you do over and over. In episode 88, we had uh, Varun Murugasan on. hope I said his name right. I apologize uh, you did not. if I didn't. Sorry, Varun. <laughs> uh, but he was here talking to us about, like, kind of the process of researching and applying UX. Yeah. And, and and I think that, that that same kind of attitude is sort of what you were just talking about. Yes, right? research is key, both in inclusive design and accessible design. The it's research is the process. piece. Yeah, it's a continuous process. You're you're not hitting a goalpost and then ending. There should always be kind of like reconsumption, reevaluation, and assessment that's happening regularly. You have to always, again, because the technology changes, the users change. Mm-hmm. You have to always be talking to them, working with them, seeing how things work. There's um one of my favorite so inclusive design differs from accessible design. Let me mm-hmm. let me see if I can mash these two topics together <laughs> into one coherently. Accessible design is easy. Accessible design is about dealing with people who need to have different accommodations for different needs. Mm-hmm. That then breaks down into our series of checkboxes, right? That right. we need to meet certain requirements in order to make sure that we're dealing with people with low vision, people with motor control, people with cognitive uh, limitations and and more. But that list is a pretty finite list. It's something we can test. It's something we can experiment with. And generally accessible design is usually termed usable design because by doing Mm -hmm. all of those things, you're inherently making it better for everybody else as well. Inclusive design deals with all of that. Inclusive design Mm -hmm. is pretty encompassing of accessible design, but it also takes into account things like cultural differences. Hmm. Okay. So, and where we get into this notion of it being a process, right? Mm -hmm. Good in, if you have a a well-designed site that has inclusive design at its heart, it would have somewhere in the area of 60, 
thousand, almost seven thousand different translations. Wow. <laughs> because inclusive design thinks about things like other cultures, other languages, mm-hmm. and making sure those are accommodated in your mm-hmm. design as well. I have a really great example of inclusive design that is also okay. a really great example of exclusive design. Okay. Uh, if if uh, uh, children, children, if you would turn to page, uh, page. Oh crap! Google Docs doesn't give me a play page. Turn to the last <laughs> page in the show notes doc. Um, there is a screenshot waiting for you there, Aaron. I can't see it. Well, why can't you see it? It's the show notes. No, they. they well, they, I know they, they can't. Can but you can. Yeah. I'm asking can. you. Yeah. This is this oh, is I'm, your quiz. I'm not a child. Yeah. It, if you shave that beard off, <laughs> I would be hard pressed to think you were over twelve. I was still tall. <laughs> this is I, I'm showing Aaron a screenshot. This is a screenshot from Exorcism.io. Oh, We've okay. talked about Exorcism many times. Um, yeah, fantastic learning platform. They just launched version three. Um, it, uh, in one of our past episodes, we were talking about mm. that launch. Um, this is from their new profile. And so they've got this little pop-up, or not a pop-up, a section in, in your profile settings mm-hmm. where you can add in your pronouns. Mm-hmm. Now, accessible design would not care about this. This is not something mm-hmm. that would fall into the area of accessible design. It meets no criteria. It meets no checkbox. But sure. inclusive design says, hey, a lot of people really prefer being referred to a lot of different ways. And they have put this fantastic little box. A, it's great because it's ad libs. Mad libs? Yeah. Mad libs is the phrase I'm I'm thinking of. Mad libs. Nielsen Norman did some research on this and found that like Mad Libs style forms have mm-hmm. a significantly better fill rate than yeah. line by line forms, which is interesting. I I've heard that. Uh I, I have some friends who did some apps with that kind of style. What they've done is given you a, a series of three sentences. Phenon was mm-hmm. really great. And then there's a box. He mm-hmm. answered all my questions. I'll recommend, another blank, him to others because, another blank, his advice was very helpful. Mm-hmm. And I can put in there, A, they give me some, uh, the, the frequency. I could change mm-hmm. to uh, female, uh, uh, feminine pronouns. Mm-hmm. I can change to third person plural pronouns, whatever, and it'll autofill. Or I can put in whatever I'm comfortable with. Sure. That way their system refers to me the right way. Their emails will refer to me in the right way. Right. It costs them nothing. And this, again, to go to the political side of kind design, right? I know there are a lot of folks who have political beliefs, who have personal beliefs that this is a silly thing. Right. You're allowed to believe that. It also costs you nothing. (laughs) You can... You can click the the she, her, her, or he, him, his. Right. Like, just as easily as ignoring the rest of them. Even if you're the person building it. Yes, Mm -hmm. it'll take a couple hours of your dev time to to build this in. Sure. But the thing about kind design is getting out of your own head and thinking about what would be nice for them. Yeah. And if somebody prefers to be referred to another way, this is a great tool. So would you agree with me this is a great example of good inclusive design that's well designed on top of it all the fields can be manually edited if you wanted all of them can be manually edited you can type in what you want yeah yeah so why is this exclusive design 
I honestly don't know. I was trying to figure out where you were going with this. I meant to prep you before we got into this because I was like, no, I, cool. I should give him the answer so no, no, that no, no, I don't no. put him you on can... the spot. No. no, gotcha, me. It's cool. He, him, his. It's a very English version of referring to pronouns, oh. is it not? Yeah, yeah, okay. So it doesn't use other languages. What if I'm Japanese? Yeah, it's not localized. What if I'm Egyptian? So I think that this would go back to the concept of it being a process. Right. So this is this is a good first pass. And then, you know, just don't see it as having checked the box and see it as we did this thing and this is a great improvement. How can we make it better? Who can what more people can we serve with this? An inclusive design would say, what should we do next? And mm-hmm. somebody may say, we need to make sure that we support multiple different language structures for this Mm -hmm. because not everybody speaks a a latin based Mm -hmm. english centric language Mm -hmm. how can that need be met well we give them a language selector in their profile that lets them switch to different localized versions of our system how well are those needs met well right now um and i'm going to apologize in advanced exorcism but i didn't see a way (laughs) currently to change that. Mm-hmm. So at the moment we would say, well, that need is not being met well currently, but as we design this new feature and this new way of doing it here, you know, we think it would be much better. I would be willing to wager that if you brought that feedback to them, they would say, that's a great idea. Thank oh, absolutely. You. I would not be able to do this. And, and yeah. they have a diverse enough audience and group mm-hmm. of contributors that it probably has come up. If it's not already in the backlog, I mean, I would I would not be surprised. What's yet. MVP, right? What can we get out the door mm-hmm. now and then iterate on? Like that that doesn't yeah. make you not kind. If you try to deliver everything at day one, you will never deliver anything ever. You cannot deliver perfection. Yeah, you still have to ship. You still have to ship. That's what I was saying before about the the forty pixel thing. Like, if you accept, like, okay, like I didn't meet the mark here, but I know that I didn't. And like, I want to make this better, then you will eventually get, you will move closer in that direction. But it's all about the process originating from a place of wanting to be kind to your audience. Yeah. I, I think, can I go really quickly, go back to um, episodes 33, where you talked with Brian Ollendike, and then, did I say his name right? Ollendike, yeah. He he was Olandike. our expert on web components. He built, uh, yes. not by himself he's got a great uh, group of folks who work with him <laughs> um the hacks cms and the hacks editor yes. the, it's a block editor that is sort of a direct foil to gutenberg but works in web components it's highly accessible accessibility first um in yes. their system well so that's what i wanted to bring up like so him and then uh ruben and ej and also when we discussed the u.s web design service or web design system yeah um uswds and then also, I missed this episode. I, I was out of town again. But when you had Christopher Schmidt, uh, rest in peace. Yeah. Um, but all, all of these people, though, their product was built with like with accessibility or with just inclusiveness in mind from the beginning. Like this was like, we're going to address this from the get go as part of the DNA of our product. And and you've made and me sad for what it's worth. And- what? Christopher Schmidt oh, was yeah. a, a man, he was dedicated to his craft. He believed mm-hmm. in education, the importance of, you know, leading from the front of this industry, yeah. Ex, you know, accessible design, inclusive design was very important to him. 
Um, if, if you're not familiar with him, he's got a lot of stuff out there to remember him by. <laughs> so please go read it and and learn from him because uh, he may be gone, but his impact is is far from gone. Yeah, I think that all of these people that we've had on this show so far, and many others that we haven't had on the show, they approach their their creation process from this place from this wellspring of kindness and it makes a better product and they make better decisions for it that they don't have to go back and change weight can i give you your twitter bite your your retweet bite kind design means never having to say you're sorry (laughs) you you should never have to apologize for work that you did if you were operating kindly now you may have to say hey this work wasn't necessary or this work has changed you know the technology has changed and it's no longer useful for our users but you never have to apologize for it i I was gonna say at first that like i mean you should be willing to apologize and everything but i i kind of think you're right because when i think about what if someone brought feedback to me where it was like, oh, hey, I was using your thing and it was very difficult, you know, because of this or that. I, I think, you know, maybe maybe you say sorry, but I think the bigger thing is you would probably say thank you because now you have more information on how to make it better. And that kind of criticism is good, right? Yeah, yeah. It, it's always possible that you focus on the wrong thing. Like I could see a situation mm-hmm. where a, a user comes with a complaint and mm-hmm. you may read into it too far and think that that complaint reflected a bigger problem and you spent time fixing that problem and it turns out it wasn't really an issue. And you may have to say, I'm I'm sorry, I spent the time on that. I didn't research it enough. I should have talked mm-hmm. to more users. And you say you're sorry to the business for that. Sure. But that's not apologizing for listening to the user or taking their complaint <laughs> seriously. Right. I mean, maybe you've got like a new version of a product that you're doing and you have a conference coming up really soon and you really want to launch a product before like at the conference with the new version. But like someone brings up some accessibility concerns and you're just like, oh, man, what are we going to do about this? You probably don't want to ignore those. Right. You probably want to actually deal. There's with. There's always a baseline that you, you need yeah. to hit. Certainly. Right. Um. There's a a really great, and this is related to nothing, but I just wanted to go out of my way to say it. (laughs) There is actually a subreddit for hostile architecture. (laughs) Like, that is a subreddit. Oh, and there is a post called The Opposite of Hostile. And I saw it, and it's what made me think of, like, why we say kind design is the opposite of hostile design. And what it is, is somebody designed a wastebasket your average everyday park wastebasket okay but around the edge of it are cup holders and you may say why would i ever want to use a trash can as a cup holder Uh and the answer is so that homeless people can take your cans and bottles and exchange them for money so that they don't have to dig through the trash to get the cans and and the bottles out I think the only thing I'm looking at the picture right now, the only thing I don't like about it is that it only has spots for five. Yeah, they could have done it all the way around. It could have been better. Yeah. But maybe that's the iteration, right? 
Yeah. Maybe this was a quick, like, somebody thought of it at the last minute, spot welded it on, and said, you know what? The next version of these, though, we're coming out with all the way around, baby. I like where this is coming from. I, it reminds me also of the bad UI battles subreddit, which I discovered recently. And man, that is great. It's I mean, I mean, these are like bad UIs that are intentionally designed to be bad. Yeah, yeah. But it's always fun to see like the ways that someone can be like like the the biggest fuck you to user possible. <laughs> like this is a new level of hostility here. <laughs> I've realized now there was a whole vein of research I didn't do for this episode that I should have done because mm. I realized when I start thinking about architecture, if you want to understand the difference between kind and hostile design, mm-hmm. there is there are so many examples in architecture, especially when it comes to people who are currently looking for somewhere to stay. Mm-hmm. And so you think about things like new park benches with extra armrests. Look, you now have armrests on both sides and in the middle. Mm, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, you that's do. Not what that's for. And that's also designed to make sure that people can't sleep on them. Or yeah. the spikes, you know, that everybody has seen the pictures of the spikes that they put like in entryways to stop the quote unquote birds. And it's like, no, that's yeah. not what those are there for. That is hostile design. I found one for a basketball hoop lock, and it's just a crossbar of metal. That's lights locked on top of the basketball, so the basketball can't go through it. Like what? That's <laughs> like that's not even. That's just so fucked up, man. Like you're like no. Fold up benches are a thing, so that like at night they'll fold up the benches and lock them again, mm-hmm. so people can't sleep on them. Um, yeah. There, there are a lot of examples of. In fact, as I I'm talking here and I pull up the subreddit and I realize. Wow, there are a lot of benches. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, Man, yeah. we are like obsessed with keeping people off of benches. That's kind of what I was saying earlier, though. Like, it, like kindness is political. It is. Yes, it absolutely is. Because when you have, when you're prioritizing maximizing your profits, like that, you are going to have to make unkind decisions, and being kind effectively becomes a political act. I'm going to disagree. If you're truly maximizing your profits, if you are truly maximizing them, you will have to make sacrifices with your users at the expense of your users. I would rephrase. I I know where you're coming from, and I I don't disagree with where you're coming from. The way I would rephrase that, though, is we are a culture obsessed with sacrificing long term for short term. Oh, yeah. Like that, okay. that's what that is because there are, and let's, let's extend the homeless metaphor here. Sure. There, there is a absolute treasure trove Ma- of research that says dealing with the homeless problem directly by doing things like giving them a home, you know, the tiny home movement and all of this. Yes. You're going to yeah. spend, you know, $25,000 per home or whatever to put them mm-hmm. up and there is research all over the place that says, yeah, and that's money that saves you a ton over the long term mm-hmm. because you aren't spending money in all of these other areas. You're correct. I'm saying I'm referring to maximizing in the short term. Yeah, yeah. That, Max- and that's why I said like, yeah, I got where you were kind of coming yeah. from there. Like, like we only look at this like how do I make sure I stay in the green right now? The the local maximum, you know, for your current fiscal year rather than the overall like integral of your profits over long time. Um, 
That's what I'm referring to. Yeah, yeah. So, okay. I, I will. Yeah, I, we're, yeah, we are not on a different page yeah. here. Right, right, right. So this is kind design. This is where we are coming from and something that has been very close to us. And you're going to hear a lot more. I, I hope that this <laughs> is not boring to you because this is something, this is a drum beat we are going to hit over and over, uh, especially as we go into season five. And there are other things that you're going to see that will reinforce it. I like that we have a name for it. I like that we have a name because we for have it. we have been talking about it for a long time, and we just haven't known what it was that we were approaching. Yeah, and and it feels like we like finally kind of sorted that out. And say. it can be confusing when you think when you see all these other phrases. Well, okay, wait, am mm. I doing universal design? Am I doing inclusive design? <laughs> but I got to do accessible design. But maybe I should be looking at this book on ethical design. I think that. Kind, uh, I think universal design is a lot more practical, like in giving absolutely specific yeah. advice on, like on strategy or tactics. And kind design is just really going back to that origin point. Where are you coming from? What, like, what is driving you to create? What is driving you to produce? That's that's where the, this is like kind of the inception point from which your creations, you know, will emerge. Yeah. So I hope that that was fun for you i hope that it was interesting i hope that you practice it i really hope you have questions um if yeah. you don't if after all of this you had don't have a single question take a few seconds we're all gonna take a breath i'm holding mine and think about what you want to ask us i'm holding my breath so uh yeah when you have your questions uh, or just if you have comments, I, I don't know, like, please engage with us Did, about this. Are we not the um, first to this? Because I feel like there's no possible way we are the first to think of the phrase kind design. I I don't know, honestly. And I mean, if other people out there have like come to this conclusion as well, like, I, I would love to talk about this some more. This is really like, I, I mean, growing up, Mr. Rogers was like someone I saw on television a lot. And oh, like yeah. to this day is still like a person that I like very much admire. And I think that the way that he approaches things is something that like, I, I will never be like, it's so hard yeah. to get to that level of like patience and kindness, but I really aspire to like, it's definitely an aspiration. Can I disappoint you? you sure. Kind design yeah. is a thing. Can I tell you what it is? Yeah. It's the original Colorado clothing brand geared towards outdoor enthusiasts. <laughs> Oh well, maybe not we a sponsor. It. Not a, not a sponsor. Yeah, yeah. I just go. So we're not referring to. We're not referring to the clothing brand. brand. <laughs> yeah, um, but uh, yeah, you should. I really like engage with us. Like, I really want to hear what you think about this. Um, you can catch us on the Twitter and the Facebook.com, assuming it's up ever again. Uh, slash Drunken UX and on Instagram.com if that's up at Drunken UX Podcast and come talk with us and give us share your thoughts and everything at uh slash discord and and folks if you want to get in there's one uh there's one resource i didn't mention um in terms of kind design that does exist out there that can help you get a, a kickstart on it get you ahead of the game and like really thinking about the best way to practice it and that is to keep your personas close <laughs> and your users closer <laughs> bye bye <laughs> Ha <laughs> ha